Hi, listeners. Here's another bonus episode for you, and this one is an interview with columnist Trouble Mandison. We have a wide-ranging conversation focusing on her approach to food and philosophy of food, preparing food, and the local food scene. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you for being here, Trouble Mandison. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking. Could you introduce yourself? My name is Trouble Aaron and Gouch Mandison. I like to give them all. That's my given name, plus I changed my name and my married name. And I live here in Greenfield, Mass. for the last 18 years. We both live in Greenfield. Thanks for coming into the GCTV studio oh, yeah. today. Could you tell us about your column in the Montague Reporter? Yes, I write a column called Notes from the Heartfelt Cafe. And I got that name because my wife uses handkerchiefs. And so as sweet little gifts, I buy her beautiful vintage handkerchiefs. And there was a little store in San Francisco where we're from called Heartfelt. And I would sneak in there now and again and buy her little handkerchiefs and leave them as gifts all around. And so we began to call our home and our kitchen the Heartfelt Cafe. It just sort of seemed to fit with our lives and how we felt about our home and cooking and being together. And so when I was asked to do the column, it just came up to be Notes from the Heartfelt Cafe. And I write about food and I typically do a little history on a food or maybe a style of cooking uh, or maybe things like turnovers or empanadas, you know, all the different types. And then I do personal anecdotes and stories. And then I give a recipe and photos. And that's basically what the column is. And it's generally monthly. So it runs probably with the exception of summer months, um, once a month Mm -hmm. in the B section, Mm -hmm. the more section. Yes. Often on the front page, which is fun for me. How did the column start? Well, I believe it was Nina Rossi who asked me to do the column. And it's vague. It's been a couple of years now. And I took over for her once when she went on vacation as an editor. And so I did the bits and pieces and I did the uh, page two cartoon of somebody at work or at play. And I think that the column came out of that. I think she might have asked me. I mean, really, I'm pretty sure it was Nina. You know, I didn't really know much about the Montague Reporter living in Greenfield and not in Montague. Mm -hmm. But I started reading it and found it to be a little jewel of a newspaper. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Most people have that epiphany, the same feeling yeah. when they start reading. Yeah. It. I mean, it's hyper local. Yeah. It's local. Yes. But I mean, even Greenfield isn't necessarily local enough to read the columns on the board, local boards and councils and clubs. And but it's fascinating. It's a little microcosm of, you know, Montague. And I love reading it. Mm-hmm. You know, the police logs are hilarious. Once I got to illustrate the police logs, all the misdialed 911 calls. And that was hilarious. Just getting to read them and decide what to illustrate. So there's also a lot of freedom. You know, when they gave me the column, there were no instructions other than keep it under a thousand words. Uh That was pretty much it. So I just formulated it, you know, in any way. 
So were you drawn to contribute because you just like the paper? Or um, is this part of your lifelong passion that you're expressing? Or Well, I mean, I've always loved to cook, and I've always been a writer. And I guess in the back of my head, yes, I actually always wanted to do an advice column as the love goddess. Because I had this incarnation in my 30s or something where I friends would call me the love goddess and it was a sort of joke and I would make these faux newsletters that would start off with these ridiculous letters and then they'd cut off in the middle and there would never be another page right and so it was just this sort of inside joke and I I'm good at advice you know I have a lot of good reasoning skills and good intuition and empathy and I think I would be really good at telling people what to do so are you saying right now that you have a food column but you would really love to have an advice column instead no not instead you know in in addition addition to but it turns out without really knowing when I said yes to the job, that it is kind of an advice column because I do get to put in personal stories or illustrate points or, you know, talk about how food, you know, either when I travel, like I went to Hawaii and I did a column on the food in Hawaii and tried to eat as many native dishes as I could because that's the whole point. That's why we travel for new experiences and adventures and things we've never had before. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... I feel in a way I am giving advice, even though I haven't been asked a question. I am talking about, oh, for instance, when I post my cooking on Instagram, I use the hashtag the sloppy cook because I'll like dash it together and then I'll realize I don't have half the ingredients. Like I've already started. I've already chopped, mixed, blended half my stuff. And then I'm like, what? There's no flour in the house? You know, I got Bisquick. Hey, I'll use Bisquick. I don't, you know, I'll substitute anything. Um, so the sloppy cook and, um, there was a point to all this. You're giving advice on cooking. Oh, I'm giving advice on cooking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And also I like to point out like healthy things. Like for instance, I have high blood sugar and so I've switched to only date sugar. Mm -hmm. So I love to bake. I make my own biscottis filled with, you know, 15 ingredients. I have one every morning with my coffee. I make them every week and, and I will, now I use only date sugar, which is very low on the glycemic index compared to white sugar or even coconut sugar. But date sugar is simply from the date dried and ground up. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I make my own, but Mm -hmm. it's a pain in the ass. You know, so I substitute. Sometimes I don't use eggs. I use applesauce. So part of the advice is saying to people, hey, you can do this. Nobody said there's a rule. No one says an Italian biscotti has to be a particular shape and a certain crunch and has to have slivered almonds. Oh, no. You know, mine have hemp heart seeds and chia seeds and chocolate chips and coconut and pumpkin seeds and some, you know, you make it whatever you want it to make. So, so you say you yeah. can make your own rules in you the kitchen. Your, yeah. And there's not, listen, yesterday I had a total disaster. What happened yesterday? Fail, fail, fail. I made a green bean casserole and it was so tasteless that I threw the whole thing out, oh. which I'm terrified to admit, but I threw the whole thing out. I French fried my own onions, which of course were delicious right out of the pan. So I ate a lot of those. And then they just kind of got very wet and limp because the humidity's high. So, 
you know, that was bad. I blanched all my green beans, which was like five cups worth of green beans that I picked at my farm share over two weeks. Trimmed them, blanched them. I made a roux and made my own cream of mushroom soup. Combined all of it together and baked it and it came out and it just was flat and tasteless. I don't know. I didn't put any herbs in. Normally I throw in. I have a big herb kitchen garden. Normally I throw in some fresh thyme, some fresh sage. You know, I didn't. And so it was just boring on top of boring on top of boring. <laughs> I should have just used the onions from the can. Oh. I should have used Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. I went against tradition and it totally blew up in my face. <laughs> some things you just can't change. Some things you just can't substitute. <laughs> So you kind of likened your column to an advice column in a way. Yeah. Um, have you gotten any feedback on it yet? I have had a couple people like tap me on the shoulder at Foster's and say, hey, I made your grandma stuffed cabbage. Unbelievable. Yeah, twice that happened. And that wow. was really like they heard and they said, oh, are you trouble? Like they heard someone talking to me in the co-op or something. Yeah. I mean, you don't get away very far with a name like trouble, which is what I wanted. And do you have any future plans for the column, like anything that listeners should look forward to or look out for? Not necessarily, although I am going to San Francisco and L.A. in October, so maybe I'll hit some cool eateries and do a few reviews or come mm -hmm. up with some new foods. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of it is, again, traveling. So regional yeah. cuisines. Yeah. You know, I like to hit local. I worked f at Just Roots Farm. Well, first I was a work share volunteer. And four or five years ago, that meant one day a week, four and a half hours in the fields with the team. And I was 60 or so, 58. And man, it was hard being there in full summer, planting, weeding, hoeing, harvesting, washing, packing, literally everything with these 20-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome. And I got my share. So I did that for two years. I just started doing a little gardening. And, um, and then I got hired and I ran the office for two years. And then I left there in March and I'm still a work share. So I'm very invested in the food, A, because I participated in its growth and harvest. And I still do. I still participate by now I pack shares once a week. So I go and we put together 200 and something boxes. And then I get to go on the pickup day and get my own share which is wonderful. And that's only a mile from my house. I'm really connected to that farm, having personally worked there, still loving the farmers that work there, going to all their public events. And, you know, I've just always loved cooking. Like you, in my field notes, when I did the CESA field notes, I talked about, you know, wanting to cook big, wanting to feel like I'm a real cook. Nobody's ever told me, so somehow I have to prove. Mm. And now I feel like, oh, I've proven it because people ask me to cook for them. People invite me into their kitchens. I actually have some clients who I shop and cook for now. And so I'm getting to cook. I don't want it to be a job I did every day. I would never want to work in a restaurant full time. Mm -hmm. But the little bits of doing a pot of soup for this event or going in for stone soup, harvest supper, and, you know, spending the three to four days prior in the kitchen, prepping and cooking and chopping, getting ready for this huge meal. Like, I love doing that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you to explain a few things. Can yeah. you explain what CISA's Field Notes is and what CISA is? CISA is community-involved 
in sustainable agriculture. And so what they do is they're a link between the community and farmers. For instance, you've probably seen those yellow local hero stickers for years and years. That's their program. And so they're sort of vetting local producers and saying, you know, we produce and we sell locally. And they do things like they support the farmer's market, which I also have been an assistant manager and a support person and a fundraiser for them over the years. And, you know, they'll provide like signage, uh, things for snap and hip, things to educate the community, brochures and signs and, you know, even training managers. And so they're that link between all the farmers that are happening and producing and selling and all the community who's out there buying from them. So that's who CISA is. And so they have an event called Field Notes where farmers, cooks, anyone involved or interested in local food, we tell stories, five to seven minutes. Uh, I think there were seven of us at this one. They haven't done one because of COVID in two or three years, I guess. And, you know, it was uh, several months of formulating a story. And I knew I wanted to tell a story about cooking and how food affected my life. And for me, food is love. One thing is being brought up Jewish, a lot of cooking, a lot of food, family meals, you know, all of that. So most of my family is dead. I've got one sibling left and everyone else on every generation just about is gone. And so I don't have any of those traditions anymore in my family. You know, this Hungarian stuffed cabbage that my grandma would make and the matzo balls that my mom would make that were lighter than air. And I don't, you know, so my wife and I sometimes have a little Passover dinner for ourselves. And, you know, we'll do those traditions. But, you know, food just connects you to so many things. And like I said, the experience of eating a piece of corn that I might have planted, it's wild. It's its beyond just eating a piece of corn. It's eating something that I help to create and nourish mm. and get to a ripe stage to get picked mm-hmm. and distributed and eaten. Yeah. And that's... You know, it gives me shivers because I grew up in the city, so I didn't grow up gardening. We would go around. There was a Japanese farmer in the summer that grew corn and strawberries. So in summer, we'd get fresh corn and strawberries, but we didn't go to farms to buy food, even though I lived in a very rural area. We went to Alpha Beta. That was a supermarket. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really grow up being connected to food like that. So that's what the Field Notes is. That was round in circles, but essentially it's people telling their stories related to farms and local food. I have another follow-up question, which is you mentioned volunteering for the Stone Soup Cafe's Harvest Supper. Yeah. Could you explain what that is? Yes. So the Stone Soup Cafe is run out of the Unitarian Church, All Souls, in Greenfield. Every Saturday, they're open for business, and they serve a gluten-free, quote, gourmet chef's meal. Pay what you can. Many people cannot pay and don't, and that's okay. Many people pay more than they can afford, and we get donations, and that's great. And it's really high-quality food. I mean, it's like there will be meat. There will be, you know, always vegetarian and vegan options. They deliver two-thirds of the meals. They're feeding over 550 people a week. There is a huge free store. Just the most, like I take stuff from the free store because there'll be like shelled pistachio nuts and like really amazing products. And so I go through there sometimes. But anyway, once a year, they do the Harvest Supper. This is the 18th annual. It's a large meal. Again, pay what you 
can on the Greenfield Town Common. Everyone's invited. They've had up to, I think, 800 people, maybe more. Uh, and it's just a huge volunteer effort. Tons of volunteers cook for days. Now, it used to be that m- most of the food was donated from local farms, but because of the area floods and the fact that a lot of farms lost their crops, Stone Soup has raised money to buy the food from the farmers. And I did a lot of their fundraising. I love fundraising. I just start at one end of Main Street and walk all the way down. And boop, a couple days later, check the P.O. box. So I think we've raised about $10,000 now. A couple of the banks really pitched in. That's fantastic. You know, our town, let me tell you, Greenfield, I love it for its activism, for its art, for its community, for people who want to come together, who say, we want to know our neighbors. We want to be a community. We want to have meals together. We want to garden together. We want to hike together. Right? I'm in an intergenerational library group at the library with teens. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's really cool. And so, you know, Stone Soup brings people together. Those people that need or want a meal, those people that need or want to interact with others others and do volunteer work because I've been a volunteer my entire life from 13 to 62. And there's nothing like it because when you are volunteering, you are with people who want to be there, who choose to be there. Mm. People with big hearts and people with empathy or even people who aren't even sure, but feel like maybe they'd feel good helping other people. And, you know, I'm a big believer in volunteering and I spent a year off of work and I volunteered the entire year. I wrote grants for the Y. I worked at Stone Soup. You know, I don't need to be paid. I just like to do stuff. Good for you. Yeah. It seems like you think food is political. Can you talk about it? Or do you think it's political or not? Yes, because there are people that are hungry in America. So it's totally political. Mm -hmm. That means there are leaders of certain areas whose leadership is neglecting corners and pockets and neighborhoods of their constituents. Because people are living in poverty in the United States of America, which is ridiculous considering how many wealthy people. I consider myself wealthy. I'm like a privileged, wealthy white woman, and I don't have millions in the bank. I don't even have half a million in the bank. But I have a home and a loving wife and a car and a lot of friends and a lot of support, and I feel incredibly lucky. So that's partly why I do what I do, Mm. because I have a, how do you say it, plethora of stuff coming to me in my life, and I got plenty to give. And to me, I find it really weird when people don't give or help other people. That, to me, is like a mental illness, to think that other people don't need you or that you don't need other people, right? We need other people. Absolutely. I mean, my religion, I am not religious, although I was raised Jewish. My religion is people. I look in your eyes, we connect and go, wow, you look really cool. You're interesting. Hey, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Boom, we're friends for life. Like, it's not that hard. Although people (laughs) find it very, I don't know why I don't find it hard to talk to anybody. You grew up in California, right? Yeah, in Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with your uh, philosophy. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. But to say you can look in someone's eye and then they're friends for life. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Seems be- very California. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm just saying we acknowledge each other, right? You know yeah. how you walk by people on the street and they drop their eyes when they pass you? No. I'm looking you in the eye and I'm going to acknowledge. I'm going to 
tilt my head. I'm going to say hello. Yeah. I'm going to say good morning. Yeah. You know, but I'm acknowledging you. You're another human. It doesn't mean I have to like you. But generally, once there's a connection, because if you're an asshole, you're probably not going to look me in the eye and connect with me because mm-hmm. you're an asshole. So you're going to avoid my eyes. You don't want people to look and see what an asshole you are in your <laughs> eyes. Right. I mean, some people you can't, you know, listen, I I don't know. I don't have friends who are assholes. Let's just say that. I, all my friends are like the super coolest people ever because that's who I want to be around. I became a really confident woman by looking at other confident women and emulating them. I was a super shy, I was afraid of everybody, terrified as a kid, super shy, fat, you know, so like sat in the corner of the playground where the bees were and at the tetherball courts because nobody else went there and just didn't want to be bothered by any, I just wanted to read a book, just read a book. But I was terrified of people. I'm still terrified of people, but now I sort of just make myself big, you know, like if I saw a bear and then I'm not so afraid anymore. You know, I get talkative and loud, and then I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah, It's a little overbearing sometimes. Some people don't like me, and I'm totally okay with that. It's okay. Or it's not that they don't like me. They don't know what to do with me. Yeah. Right? I'm loud. I just, like, come right on. I I can love you instantly. There are many people I love instantly. You know? Kindred spirits, you're somebody who's open to somebody else. You're open, you're looking straight in the eye, and you're going, hey, I see you, and you look pretty cool. Let's have coffee. That's how I met lots of people, lots of people in this town. I've met people at the library. Hey, cool shirt. Hey, what a nice dress. Oh, yeah, I got it at Plum across the street. Do you know Plum? And then we start chatting. Hey, what are you doing? You want to go have coffee? So friendliness is a thing in New England. I, well, I mean, when I came here, I was under the impression that you're all very staid here and people don't really smile at you. My first trip to New York City, I was told, don't talk to people. Don't ask for directions. They'll bite your head off. I'm like, oh, that is such bullshit because, of course, I talk to everybody. Any parting thoughts? Everybody should have an opportunity to write a column in a newspaper because, you know, it's part of life is storytelling and sharing. Nothing has to be the best. You know, there's no judgment in it, but it's really fun to be able to just share your stories and share your life. You know, my column, nobody tells me what I can or can't put in the column. And it's such beautiful freedom. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Trouble. Thank you for doing it.